In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 8. Having learned from their previous mistake at Ai, Joshua and the Israelites devise a brilliant military strategy, orchestrated, of course, by the direction of Yahweh. This chapter narrates the successful siege of Ai as the Israelites employ a clever ambush tactic. The renewed confidence and unity of the Israelite army, along with their adherence to God's instructions, lead to a resounding victory. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, September 26th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Go online and learn more about their translating and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. They do not only great work for the kingdom, but they'll even send speakers to your congregation. I'm having a speaker from LHF come to my congregation on October 15th, and we're very excited about it. So you can also find out more about how you can have them come to yours at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning to help us unpack Joshua chapter 8 is the Reverend Brian Davies. He's the pastor of Lord of Glory Lutheran Church in Grays Lake, Illinois. Good morning, Pastor Davies. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Thanks for having me, and good morning to all who are listening and tuning in. It's a great day. It really is, and it's exciting to have you on the program. It's really exciting to be in chapter 8 because... Well, the Israelites learn a lesson from their, um, I guess their hubris and some other things that happened with the uh, the first attempt to take I. Today is take two on their attack of I. Uh, but before we get into any of that, uh, how are things going for you? How's the Lord working through you and your congregation? Thanks for asking. A lot to be thankful for. Uh, family and church are both getting in the rhythm of back to school life and back into some great ministry happening in our building and through our church. Thanks be to God for that. Great people. So lots to be thankful for. And I love where I get to serve and love the community I serve and how good it is to be a part of not only regularly receiving God's gifts, but also sharing them and uh, get, to see, uh, get to see it firsthand. It's a good thing. Agreed, agreed. Well, you haven't been on the program. Actually, the last time you were on the program was almost exactly a year ago to this date. You were on September 28th of 2022. Here we are, September 26th wow. of 2023. So I, I hate that we've had a whole year without you coming on, but I'm glad to have you on today. Brother, would you lead us in prayer before we got get into the Bible? Love to. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you've made yourself known to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you that we see the full extent of your love shown to us in Christ Jesus, crucified and resurrected for us. Thank you for the gift of your word, which is uh, where you, Almighty, Almighty God, speak to us. And we know with clarity, uh, with certainty that you're speaking to us. We give you thanks for that. And pray, God, that you'd open our hearts and minds to receive, Almighty God, what it is you would have us to receive today. Uh, it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before we read anything in chapter 8, maybe just, uh, I don't know, remind the people of what happened in chapter 7, because toward the end of the text, some of the last verses we read said, 
And all Israel stoned him, that's Achan, with stones. And they burned them, that's his family, with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then Yahweh turned from his burning anger. So <laughs> what did he do to deserve that? And uh, how does it matter? Why does that bring us to today's lesson? Yeah, so uh, I do think it is good to get a level set on where we are. I mean, you know, if you read just the end of chapter 7 and then the start of chapter 8 without any sort of context, it's kind of like walking into a room in the middle of a fight or something. It's like, what did I just <laughs> right. walk in on? Um, and I also think there's there's going to be some callbacks in Joshua chapter 8 to Joshua chapter 1. So just a quick overview, you know, chapter 1 is really the Lord commanding Joshua, hey, I've called you to this. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you, but I'm calling you to great courage. Um, you're going to be the one who's going to lead my people into uh, the land that I promised. Remember, Moses doesn't get that uh, gift, um, not his calling to do that. So instead, Joshua is going to do it. And so the book of Joshua is going to be really the story of Joshua and his people, uh, the Israelites, as they're making their way across the Jordan River into the land that God promised them. They're really knocking on the door. They've been journeying for so long to get to this spot, and now they're going to conquest it, which means there's people that are living in it, and the Lord is going to work through the Israelites and Joshua to kind of get these people out. Does that make sense? Oh, yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, there is this running theme throughout the book, and really, let's be honest, throughout the whole Bible, but he's saying, be strong and courageous, I'm with you, and then the people... Um, even after they experience the deliverance of God in one way or the other, they then start to take all the credit for it, and they fall away, and they disobey. Yeah. And, of course, God has to come in with, well, the thing we don't like, even though we're called disciples of Christ, boy, we sure don't like discipline. But God isn't yeah. isn't shy about disciplining, disciplining those he loves, and that's what we see happening here. But what happened to Achan and his family, though, it's just so dramatically— uh, I guess visceral and almost well, it's just really awful, especially in you know from today's point of view, today's sensibilities. But it really demonstrates that God is not mocked, God is not disobeyed, and there is punishment yeah. for sin. Yeah, and this this has Ananias and Sapphira vibes for me mm -hmm. from uh, you know the early church in the Book of Acts, where you know just like. Early on in the book of Acts, the church is just getting going, and the Lord's saying, you know, follow me, and I want you to follow me completely. And then, you know, somebody thinks that they can, you know, hide something from the Lord or not take the Lord seriously, and then the Lord comes down in judgment. Similarly, in Joshua chapter 7, you know, God gives clear commands, um, they're followed, but then there's somebody who thinks, well, we'll just you know, take some of these devoted things that we weren't supposed to do. And, you know, maybe God won't matter. Maybe God will just be merciful to us. Maybe God's word isn't that serious. And then all of a sudden there's, you know, really serious consequences. I think, you know, of course, this is not just a Joshua 7 story or an early book of Acts story. This is the story of humanity even still today, right? That each of us, 
have been called by God with clarity, you know, do this and don't do this. And we, you know, at times do our best to follow that. But then also, because we're sinfully plagued human beings, sinful from the times we were conceived, you know, we don't always follow what the Lord has called us to do. Um, Thankfully, the wrath of God has come down in Jesus Christ for us, for all those times we do those very same things. Um, But that also means that there's going to be times when the Lord disciplines us for those things and says, hey, I need to teach you to don't walk in that way because it's going to lead you to death and destruction. So it's a pattern that continues to this day. Indeed. So we ended chapter 7 with essentially Yahweh uh, ensuring that the Israelites would be defeated. But now we see a different story after they had, um, well, I guess disciplined or judged uh, Achor, or Achan rather, for what he had done. So let's read uh, just the first couple of verses to get us started. Uh, chapter 8 from the English Standard Version. And Yahweh said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Now, before we even go on, this is just the end of verse 2, but... Now the, the, the tables have turned. Yahweh, instead of <laughs> being an obstacle to their, to their success because of the sin within their ranks, now he, before they even lift one finger in battle, has already told them, it's done, right? I've given mm. them into your hands. I mean, yeah. imagine going into battle knowing exactly how it's going to turn out. But at the same time, they still have to fight. And boy, if that's not a picture of the Christian life, what is, right? We know that we're saved by faith, and, but yet still we have to fight against our sins. We have to do good works. We have to serve our neighbor. We have to praise God, you know, and all these things certainly aren't to earn our salvation. But just because we know that the reward is coming doesn't mean that we don't go to war when we're called. Yep. Yeah, really well said. And, you know, imagine it's an NFL football game. And the Lord were to walk into one of the locker rooms and say, you are going to win. You just need to go play the game as hard as you, as hard as you can. Boy, that's got to give, that would give that team such comfort, right? To know, well, God just walked here and said, we're going to win. All we got to do is play hard. Same thing kind of happens here. Hey, I have given this over. Like this is, this is victory is going to happen. Just fight the way I want you to fight and, and, and battle and victory is going to belong to you. I've heard the distinction maybe our listeners have as well between fighting for victory and fighting from victory. And I think that's an important distinction as Christians, you know, in, in the cosmic battle between the Lord Jesus Christ, the triune God and the evil one, Satan, we don't have to wonder is the, who's going to win that battle. Jesus is going to win that battle. He's already won that battle. Uh, he has defeated death and, and the devil and Satan by rising victorious on Easter Sunday morning. So the strife is or the battle is won, as the hymn would say. So then we fight then, live our Christian lives from a posture of, 
hey, the battle's over. We won. We just lived the life that God has called us to live. And so really those directions that are given to Joshua are really directions that have been given to us. Hey, we're going out as God's people, but let's not go out as though we don't know how it's going to turn out. It's going to turn out good because God is involved. And I think that speaks to the erroneous position that some people fall into, and that is that, well, if I'm saved, if God has already forgiven me, then it doesn't matter what I do, right? I mean, cheap yeah. grace and that sort of thing. Also, the denial of the third use of the law, right? So, well, we don't really have to strive to keep the law because, well, we couldn't do it anyway, and God's already forgiven us for our failure to do it. I mean, it's just such the wrong attitude. But let's yeah. uh, let's keep—go oh, ahead, pardon me, go ahead. Yeah, and, and to that very point, you know, God still gives instructions to them, right? If the law didn't matter, he wouldn't give instructions to them. And the same is true for us. Like, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ were the end and the law didn't matter, we wouldn't get counsel, third use of the law talk in the Pauline epistles at all. Just be like, well, it doesn't matter what you do. No, but it does. It really does. Yeah, Paul would say, yep, you know, <laughs> smoke them if you got them, it doesn't matter, everything's fine, Jesus took care yeah. of it. No, we, we, we instead, we actually go out and we strive to do these good works and serve our neighbor and all the things I said earlier, because we know that the battle is mm-hmm. won. Well, let's hear the instructions that he does uh, give them. We're going to start with verse 3. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, quote, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they'll say, they're fleeing from us, just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for Yahweh your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of Yahweh. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush, and they lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. That's the end of verse 10. So a pretty clever tactic here. Uh, God had revealed this to Joshua to do, but um, you know what stands out to me, and I just because of the context, uh, verse 8 in the middle of it, it says, you shall do according to the word of Yahweh. And not even, you know, please do it, or this time obey, or let's really listen to God this time. He just <laughs> flat out tells them, you're going to listen this time. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, but anyway, pretty clever tactic here. They, they lure the people out. Yeah, and it's it's really neat that um, God gives them that instruction. Like, not only does He win it for them, He says, "Like, I, I I'm going to give you this victory, and here's how you're going to win it." So back to my kind of like NFL pregame locker room. He gives them the playbook. Like, run these plays, and it's going to be fine. You know, I think that ought to give us as Christians, great comfort as to what the word of the Lord does. Like the word of the Lord has power to lead us into life that is truly life. So this is not just true for the commands of Joshua 8. I would say this is true for all the commands of God. Like 
See, I have commanded you. Like, I've told you what to do. You know, this is the way. Walk in it. Oh, indeed. And, you know, what's interesting about all this, and I think this is very nitpicky, but some people who want to be critical of the Bible, they'll say something to the effect of, well, isn't God using deception here? I mean, isn't that a violation of the commandments? And, mm. you know, I and I only bring that up because, well, I mean, I, people are always looking for ways to try to besmirch the, the wisdom of God, which, of course, is above our understanding. Um, but obviously we've seen, just with Rahab and others, that it's not so black and white when it comes to, you know, fulfilling God's will and this whole idea of, well, you know, you have to be uber honest to a fault as if Joshua has to go up to the gate and say, well, we don't want to deceive you. We actually have people in the back going to ambush. I mean, so yeah, I, yeah. I, as we look through this, what I see and the reason I bring it up is because as much as we strive to keep God's perfect law, you know, the way it works out in the world on the ground, it's it's messy. It's gray. Yeah. This is why we need God's forgiveness and God's guidance. Um, so I just I just sort of bring that up because, well, unfortunately, I've, I've heard that argument before, which I think actually think is pretty silly. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that before in relation to this text. I, and I think your treatment of that is excellent um, as we seek to, uh, you know, bring the ways of the Lord into the what we call the kingdom of the world uh it's not going to always appear cut and dry um i think of it's i believe in the gospel of luke where um jesus highlights the ways of the world like you know you got to be wise like that shrewd like that um right. you're playing you're playing a game on their turf um i'll also add that in concordia publishing houses uh, study Bible from the 1984 NIV, there is an excellent treatment of how to properly understand kind of all the warfare we see in the Old Testament and specifically in the book of Joshua. Um, I don't think at all it, it translated at least into the introduction to the book of Joshua and the ESV study Bible. It's probably elsewhere in the ESV study Bible. I'll have to look for it. Um, but if anybody has their, has one of those old uh, NIV study Bibles, it kind of really gave a nice introduction to, boy, you're going to see a lot of warfare in this book. And how do we process that as Christians? And to me, what we what really rose out to me from that conversation was, you know, this was the Lord's land. This was the promised land that he had given, you know, in the book of Genesis, like this is where you're going to be. Then there God's people are driven out, brought out, they're brought to Egypt. So the process of them going back into the land is going to involve kind of God taking this land back, if you will. And in essence, kind of punishing their sin um, is going to mean death and destruction for them as they took God's land from God's people. You know, that kind of reminds me a little bit of the historical revisionism and the romanticism around, say, like the Aztec societies and other societies that no longer exist, even some of the Native American cultures where we look back at it from a romantic point of view and we say, oh, these, you know, these these people were just, you know, they were in tune with the earth and we kind of ignore the rampant, um, just mm. uh, 
viciousness, uh, you know, the human sacrifices. Now I'm speaking specifically of the Aztecs, but we look at these cultures and we sometimes, because they're exotic and far removed from us, we remove uh, a lot of the reality of the of the sin and harshness of their society. Of course, that doesn't excuse mm. the sin and harshness in our own society. But I think that's that happens here too. People look yep. back into the Bible and they say, well, those poor Canaanites, they're just being picked on by God and the Israelites. No, <laughs> these people deserved the punishment they received. And you know how we know? Well, if for no other reason, because God ordered it. God is perfect. Yep. We, who are you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Right? God is God. At the same time, we shouldn't think of ourselves as better. And if nothing else, it should just make us understand how grateful we should be that God, of course, has saved us from that same sinful uh, condition. I suppose. In Jesus Christ alone. Thanks be to God. Right. Right. Well, why don't we keep on reading? Let's see what happens next, starting with verse ten. Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai, with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in an ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And, they, and as they pursued Joshua... They were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. All right. Well, I know it's right here at the climax, but we're going to pause. So, yeah, so he's doing it according to God's instructions, which is great. But I just I love how and, and we shouldn't be surprised. But it works, right? I mean, they all follow after them. And I love that phrase, they pretended to be beaten. <laughs> you know, it's kind of silly, but I just imagine in my head, kind of like kids playing, and they're like, I got you. And they're like, oh, and they're falling over. I'm, I'm sure it was more dramatic than that. But, you know, they're pretending to be beaten. But just imagine kind of like, even as scary as that was, they just they know in the back of their head that this is working. I, I don't know. It yeah. just it just it just seems like a, a great comfort to trust in the Lord. Yeah, and um a couple observations on my end. You know, it's like uh it's almost uh foreshadowing of the crucifixion of Jesus in terms of what appears to be a defeat is ultimately gonna end up in a victory. Um and I also think, boy, I wonder at what point do people stop pursuing Israelites as they're running because it never seems to end well in the Bible. Think of uh, the Egyptians chasing after the Israelites um, and they, you know, they run into the Red Sea and look what happens to them. This has echoes of that. I also liked, if we think of Joshua as a type of Christ here, kind of previewing in a way what kind of Messiah we'll have. You know, where is Joshua here? Joshua is it says it twice. He's among the people. 
He spent the night in the valley. He's with the people. And that's the kind of Savior that we're going to have, an Emmanuel, God with us, a God who's with the people, um, and it's going to lead them to victory ultimately. Yeah, it's also, you know, just such this honorable, honorable position in terms of him being a leader. But one thing we've been talking about for the last seven chapters is, of course, this beautiful typology between Yeshua here and Yeshua, who is our Lord and Savior. And um, yeah, I think it's a that's an amazing connection, one I hadn't even thought of. So I think that's awesome. Well, why do we keep on going? No, because we do have a lot of text today. Let's start with 18. Then Yahweh said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward I, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or that for the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, they then turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was none left that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. Okay, end of 23. So we see that the attack works, and they are really stuck in the middle between all of Israel, and they're, well, God's judgment takes place. The people are killed. The king of Ai is captured. What else can we learn from this section? That the ways of the Lord work, um, that, you know, sometimes we'll look at the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, the Ten Commandments, and the sinful fleshly part of us will feel like if we follow those, we're in some way sacrificing or we're giving up, when in reality, uh, or giving something up, when in reality, ironically, not ironically, the ways of God following the ways of the Lord, following the law of the Lord, is going to lead to a better, more fulfilling life. So just think about the Ten Commandments as an example of the law of God. Like, follow those and you will find life. It's generally a good practice not to commit adultery. It's generally a good practice not to steal from one another. It's generally a good practice not to murder one another. As we individually and in societies follow those, we're going to find victory in life. And so we shouldn't shy away from the fact that God's word and his ways lead to life that is truly life. And here's a great example. It leads to victory for them and quite a resounding one. Oh, indeed. I mean, and another thing too, is if they were to have thought this, I, again, you know, it's, it's not the craziest plan in the world that no one could have come up with, but at the same time, you know, they could have easily said, you know, Lord, I, we just don't think that makes a lot of sense. They'll never fall for that, you know? <laughs> yeah. And 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 there's also something to be said about would they have fallen for that? I mean, let, let's look at the, what's going on. I mean, there, there's people hiding behind the city as if there, what, aren't watchmen all around the city? So certainly, I, I think just from a logical point of view, God obviously had his hand in it because the plan, while it worked perfectly— 
I think worked less due to its convolutedness and more, of course, because, well, God is putting them to the test, right? Not in the sense that he's testing their faith, trying to get them to sin, but he's wanting to examine whether or not they're going to obey. And so when we see some of these sometimes convoluted, convoluted rather, uh, plans that Yahweh lands that lays out, you often think, why are there so many steps in this? And the answer is, I think anyway, God yeah. wants them to understand that following his will, just as you said, will result in, in good things, good things. Yeah. And this is like laid out for them. And so it is such like a God led victory. Like, I'm going to tell you to raise your hand at this time. And when you're going to raise your hand at this time, you're going to see the victory that I'm going to do. And how neat it must have been for them to see that happen. And I, I, you know, we're going to see it later. That's going to lead them to worship God. And I think the same is true for us when we see that, Hey, the Lord lays out something for us. And when we follow it and walk in it, it leads to light and life that ought to lead us to worship God in the same way. Well, we're going to get to that section here in just a few minutes after we listen to these messages. But folks, please don't go anywhere. We're going to keep on going. Joshua's going to renew that covenant with the Lord. We'll see you when we come back on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me this morning is the Reverend Brian Davies. He's the pastor of Lord of Glory Lutheran Church in Grays Lake, Illinois. Before we get back to the action, I just want to take this chance, as I always do, but it's so important, and I really want you to understand this. I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm so blessed that you're taking the time to be in God's Word with us this morning or whenever you're listening. Maybe you're listening as a podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Maybe you're tuning in online at KFUO.org or using that KFUO radio app I want you to use. It's great. Seriously, go download it. But also, you could be listening live, I suppose, and that's always great, too. There's all kinds of ways to listen live on KFUO.org, the app, also over the air in St. Louis. But listen, however you're tuning in, again, I'm just grateful that you're here. Remember, if you have any questions or comments about today's show or you want to send a message to my guest, you can reach out to me at PastorBoo at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook. Well, I'm eager to get back into the text, so let's do that, brother. We are now at verse 24, and it's really finishing up the attack. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, 
and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were twelve thousand, all of the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of Yahweh that he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. All right, take us through this section, brother. I mean, I mean, even even this, I think, is full of a, a couple of a great, <laughs> a great illustrations of of Joshua being faithful and, of course, the people being faithful. Yeah, this is. What you just said is true. It's also, to some degree, a little unpleasant to hear in the ear, right? Kind of reminds me of, you know, on Sunday mornings when we'll have a reader read this, and then we say, this is the word of the Lord, and people say, thanks be to God. This would be one of those to be like, thanks be to God? Like, this oh, is yeah. a tough one. It's a, it's a lot of death. That reminds um, me sometimes when we read the gospel, and it's, Mostly law, <laughs> and we say yeah, right. this is the gospel of the Lord, right? Yeah, right, right, right. But right. you're right. This is uh, this is pretty visceral to our modern ears. It is, and um, you know, I think we kind of touched on this earlier on in the hour. But I mean, uh, God is not to be toyed with. God is not to be mocked. God is not to be negotiated with, or. Uh, to be attempted to, you know, deceive. Um, the wages of sin is death, um, that there's no kind of escaping that. Um, none of us can escape that. All of us are unrighteous and worthy of God's wrath. Um, but thanks be to God in Jesus Christ, he's made a way for ragamuffin knuckleheads like you and I uh, to experience the fullness of God's grace and favor and mercy. And it's not because of anything good within us, um, but solely because of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, I look at this and say, lest I look at this and make myself Joshua or one of the Israelites following God, I should see myself as someone in I that didn't do what God wanted and was an object of God's wrath, right, righteously, rightfully. Um, but thanks be to God, he took my place in Jesus Christ. Um, that's what I see. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, verse 26 stands out to me, though, too, because it says, but Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. So, you know, if you missed that earlier, folks at home, you know, he puts out his javelin and it's in some ways he's obviously directly following God's command. It's also a sign or, uh, you know, like a signal to the people that, hey, now is the time to attack. But he's amongst the people, but he's holding it out this whole time. God said, mm-hmm. hold out the javelin. And he does. And he dares not put it down until everything is complete. And yeah. I just think that's a, a beautiful testimony of Joshua's 
extreme faithfulness. In fact, I don't think it says anywhere that God told him to hold it out the whole time. Now, this is my own speculation. So even if God had not told him that, it's almost like he's going above and beyond to be faithful. <laughs> um, yeah. At least that's how I read it. And I also think, of course, as the as Je- Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, uh, how Jesus, of course, uh, does not just, as we said earlier, die on the cross and that's it. But he lives, he dies, he rises again, and then he sends the comforter. But even so, God is continuing to be with us until all of our enemies are devoted to destruction at that last day. I mean, if that doesn't preach, I don't know what does. Right, exactly. Really well said. But then the next part I actually have a couple questions about. So, you know, it says only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of Yahweh. That word of Yahweh is back in, I want to say verse 2. Yes, verse 2 it says, only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. That's a little odd for God to command that in light of the previous chapter. I mean, he said he devoted all this to destruction, and Achan, you know, hid some of the gold and a couple other things, uh, you know, in 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 uh, contrary to God's command. But now this section, God kind of, I mean, what's he doing? Is he just sort of loosening up? Okay, now you can have some spoil. I mean, is there anything there? I mean, just that just sort of stood out to me. Yeah, I, I, it'd be neat to talk to the Lord and say, what were you thinking here exactly? <laughs> right. You know, um, one way to possibly look at it would be, you know, he gives them pretty clear instruction on what to take, on what not to take. He's going to see, are are you going to really follow and listen to my word? Are you going to obey it? Because I'm going to give you a clear counsel. Um and I don't know if I'm going to be able to say this clearly, but, you know, part of me, if I was a dad in this situation and we see our Heavenly Father, Yahweh, as, you know, the father of our, you know, our Heavenly Father, you know, if I were a dad, I'd be like, hey, you you didn't do what I did last time. So this next time, take nothing again. Right. Like you're going right. to you're going to you're, you're going to listen to me and you're going to learn, you know. But instead, he says, no, I, I do want you to take these things almost like. I want you to see that that's going to be enough or, you know, are are, are you really going to just take that and take nothing else? It's kind of a way, I think, to to really hold them as a community to a standard that they're going to have to work together to follow. And is Joshua going to encourage them to follow that? Are the people going to follow that? And, and then in, in doing so, they will discover like, hey, we – the Lord asked us to do this thing. We did it, and it was great. Um, let's keep following his word exactly true. That makes a lot of sense. I also get a little bit of a condescension because God is constantly condescending to our weaknesses too. So, you know, it could also very well be just a little bit of, uh, you know, I, I, I get it. <laughs> you know, God's like, yeah. I get it. And so here, you can take some plunder, but still only these things. Yeah. So it's it still have to follow God. Well, so then of course uh, he they burn down the city. It's forever a heap of ruins. But then we get this language of the king of I hung on a tree. That's some significant language. It takes us back to Deuteronomy twenty one. I'd like to read uh, Deuteronomy chapter twenty one, verse twenty two and twenty three. Here we go. 
And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death, you shall hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Yahweh your God is giving you for an inheritance. So we have this language of cursed is he who is hung upon a tree. And of course, Mm. that connects us to Jesus. But in this case, it's the king of Ai, and he is enduring the punishment he deserves. And the punishment is carried out according to God's revealed will. But that hung on a tree, I don't know about you, but I can't help but think of Jesus. Uh, Exactly. I remember Luther says, I open the Bible, I see Jesus on every page. You know, we may not see J-E-S-U-S on every page, but we ought to look at this and be like, yes, what happened to the king of I should have come to me, should have come to all of these people. He is being hung, in essence, as their representative. And in the same way, when Jesus Christ is crucified, he stands in the place of all of humanity, like all the sins of humanity are put upon him in that moment. And thankfully, you know, that moment, while it was the end for the King of I, was the beginning of life eternal for us. So how beautiful that is for us, like as awful and horrific as this is to read and real and earthly and earthly and unpleasant, you know, that happened to Jesus too, but for our good, so that we may know the full extent of the love of the Messiah for us. Oh, amen to that, brother. Well, are you ready to go on to the next section? Let's keep going. Here we go, verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar to Yahweh, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had commanded the people of Israel. As it is written in the book of the Law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to Yahweh and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests, who carried the ark of the covenant of Yahweh, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, and the women, and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. And that's the end of our chapter and the end of our text. Um, this feels out of place. <laughs> um, is this a continuation of what's happened immediately prior? Or did you read anything about the fact that some of the Dead Sea Scrolls actually put this before chapter 5, verse 2? Did you look into that at all? I did not, but I'd love to hear more about it. Well, I don't know a whole lot about it. <laughs> mm. But I, uh, there's apparently this section some people consider out of place. Um, only because of some of the Dead Sea Scroll manuscripts, um, there's a, a Hebrew text, and of course these things are a thousand years closer than the Masoretic text from which we get this version. And, and for what mm-hmm. it's worth, they just happen to have this content up in chapter 5. 
And by mm. putting it up there, it makes the first thing Israel do upon entering the land is to to renew the covenant at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Um, and so if you put it up at 5-2, then the Dead Sea Scrolls are basically having Joshua immediately obey the command after it comes. Now, hmm. with that said, it also makes perfect sense in its location where we have it in the Masoretic text. And there's so many different ways to explain this. One could be simply it happened twice, right? Or hmm. it got relocated in the earlier scrolls because it just makes sense there. But either way, no one's questioning that this is or isn't a word of God. Of course it is, but it just goes to show you that as the word is transmitted throughout the centuries, um, it's actually amazing how consistent we have. And sometimes mm. we have it in maybe a little different place or like the Psalms in a certain different order. But I think it, if anything, it shouldn't cause people to doubt. It should show just how well-preserved the scriptures are. With that mm. said, um, I think it makes sense either here or back in chapter 5. Uh, but we can wow. read it as if it's following. I don't know. I just didn't know if you'd heard that. I'd come across it, but um, but I'd never really heard of it before either. That's great. I'll have to, next time I'm with some really smart Old Testament people, I'll have to present <laughs> this to them. I, you know, just so you and your listeners know, you know, I don't live the book of Joshua every day of my <laughs> life, right? So that this required um, me to, in prep for this conversation today, you know, like re-looking at all of this, I did not come across this. I will say, like, I read 8, 1 through 29, and then 8, 30 through 35 without even skipping a beat in terms of, I thought it fit together like a puzzle. It does. It flows perfectly. Be now, I tell you what, I actually do have someone, know someone who kind of lives this, um, the author of the Concordia Commentary Joshua edition will be my guest yeah. tomorrow. So maybe oh, I'll just run it past him while he's on. I think he might actually live and breathe it more than you and I. Yeah. Who um, is he's that, also by the, the way? author of the Deuteronomy one for what it's worth. Who is that, by the way? Oh, putting me on the spot just like I put you on the spot. That's going to be the uh, Reverend Professor uh, Adolf Hartstead. Okay, great. I'd be curious to see um, yeah. what's said there. But to me, it was like, Holy cow, the people watch, in essence, two episodes play out. They watch the episode where somebody doesn't follow what the Lord commanded them clearly to do, and they receive judgment. That's Joshua chapter 7. First half of Joshua chapter 8, or first two-thirds of Joshua chapter 8, they see themselves fully follow what God called them to do, and see them find victory in it, well, that's going to lead them back to the Lord. That's going to lead them to worship. That's going to lead them to renew the covenant. That's going to lead them to be like, we've got to keep following this because look how good it is when we follow him. This is like the pattern of Israel over and over, and it's the pattern that we as you know Christian human beings continue to walk in, which is, we walk with the Lord, the Spirit is with us, um, and we're living the life that is truly the life. But then over time or whatever, the evil one draws us away. We step out and find death and destruction and then say, Lord, lead me back. He is so faithful and just. He forgives us. 
and then we walk in him again and we find light that is truly life. So I guess to me, like I didn't see any sort of incongruence why this would be in this spot. It made perfect sense to me. Well, it makes perfect sense to me too. And we also have to remember that even if there was a different location for thousands of years, it's been right here too. And the Masoretes yeah. were certainly scholars. So I, I don't think that it's anything for us to worry about. But as we look yeah. through it, your connection is absolutely right. And that is that, you know, what follows them, I guess, experiencing God's promises firsthand is worship. And, and that's why we worship. You know, we don't worship so that we can kind of get in God's good graces so that he might bless us. We worship mm. in response to him keeping his promises, the faith that he's yeah. given us. The uh, We certainly worship him in times of doubt and worry and, and distress, too. But I, I, I love your connection here where here are the people having seen firsthand that following the law of God is good. Now build an altar, worship him. They perhaps they didn't do it earlier. Maybe they were supposed to have done it back in chapter five, and they just do it now because they're kind of being woken up out of their yeah. out of their slumber. But either way, we get this altar which is uh, erected in the style that we find in Deuteronomy twenty-seven, and he writes all the things that Moses had commanded. Uh, what do you suppose that is? Right? Uh, is it just like? Is he writing all of Deuteronomy, right? Moses' reiteration mm. of the law before his death? Is he writing the Ten Commandments? Uh, it seems like more than just the Ten Commandments. What, do you, what would you say he's writing on these stones? Yeah, I would lean more towards the second, like um, that when I hear all, I hear all. Like God mm. had revealed himself in his word to the Israelites as they're journeying to the promised land. Like this is the way, walk in it. And of course, it's the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments serve as a summary of all that he had given them. So it would make sense that then this would be continued to be passed down from Moses to the people, and then including Joshua, he would have been an observer of that. Now he's the leader saying, hey, remember, this is what God spoke to us, our people, as we were journeying to the promised land. We're seeing it being fulfilled as we follow him. God is blessing us. Um, it makes complete sense. I heard a long time ago... Um, somebody a lot smarter than me, like broke down all the times in which God's people worship in the Old Testament and something like two thirds of the occurrences of the Hebrew word for worship occur outside of formal dedicated worship spaces hmm. and outside of formal dedicated worship times, but just happen more spontaneously and you know, it doesn't need to be in a formal setting. It just happens. And I thought of that when I looked at this text. Like, the people didn't achieve this victory through God and then say, okay, let's wait till Sabbath on Saturday and <laughs> worship God. No, right. they're like, we're going we're gonna to erect a, 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 like an altar right here and right now. This is going to be our place of worship. And right now is going to be our time of worship because God just won this victory. And I think that's got huge parallels for our lives. Oh, I oh, could not agree more. I mean, because it's this sort of spontaneous worship that I think a lot of people try to unfortunately manufacture, right? They, you know, well, we're going to have a worship service and I, we just sort of want people to be led into this frenzy. But, but you're absolutely right. While there is a time and place, certainly God wants us to gather in an organized worship to receive his gifts. That organization 
isn't so much in terms of, like you said, well, we have to wait to the next Sabbath. We have to wait till, you know, the rabbi stops by. No, it's just all the people in recognition and in praise for what God has done, worship the Lord. They erect an altar. They, in fact, they erect a, I don't know, kind of an anti-altar. A, 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 it's, it's sort of the opposite of sacred space. They, they erect a monument on top of the body of the dead king so they can pass this down to their children. But then they erect an altar upon which they then praise God and are reminded of God's promises. So if he is basically reading the whole book of Deuteronomy, these people are all hanging around to hear God's word. Now, let's yeah. try that next Sunday, right? Hey, folks, we're going to read the entire book of Deuteronomy right uh, during the Old Testament lesson. People probably would pull us aside afterwards and say, you know, Pastor, that was a little long. That might be the nicest thing. In Minnesota, that's what they would say. I don't know. Elsewhere, they might be a little bit more forward. <laughs> that's funny. But, you know, but we do. You're right. We see this worship in response to God. Um, and even though we might say meet once a week or twice a week for worship, it's still in response to God, right? Even though it might be a little more organized, both are very good. But that's interesting. I might have to kind of search around for that because I, I completely would uh, would agree with that. Well, we're sort of toward the end of our program, but I want to give you the last word. Uh, any other thoughts about this or anything else you want to share with the people? Well, I think it's just a neat, neat reminder, like and an encouragement you know, the Bible is precious real estate in terms of like, it's here for a reason. And at first glance, Joshua 8 seems like ugh, this kind of unpleasant war story. Where's the gospel? Why is this here? Maybe when in reality, like, boy, this has been a really rich conversation. It led us to thinking about the Christian life. It led us to thinking about worship um, you know, that Lutheran theology runs throughout the whole Bible. And, you know, we can look at one chapter and say, Lord, you were with your people, you were for your people. Um, even when they disobeyed, you, you, you worked grace and forgiveness in their lives that led them to follow you again. And what a pattern that is that we can follow, God's people can follow today, that whoever is listening to this, wherever you are, whatever means by which you're getting this, like, there's no sin that's beyond the grasp of the Almighty God to, to, to forgive you and to bring you back into his kingdom and then to give you grace upon grace and then to invite you then to walk in newness of life um, and to follow him. And then in doing so, you know, find great life. The best life we can possibly have is a life of obedience and following Jesus and loving our neighbor and the like. Well, I think that's a excellent word to end the program on. Folks, I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend Brian Davies. He's the pastor of Lord of Glory Lutheran Church in Grays Lake, Illinois. Pastor, thanks so much for being on the show again. Come back in less than a year's time. I hope to see you soon. <laughs> Sounds like a great plan. Folks, tomorrow, as I said, we're going to have uh, the Reverend Professor Adolf Hartstad. He's the Professor Emeritus at Bethany Lutheran Theological Seminary or yeah, in Mankato, Maryland, but also, uh, Professor, um, I'm sorry, I, I got a little confused. Is there a Mankato, Maryland? I think that might be Minnesota. <laughs> anyway, he's also the author of Joshua and the Concordia Commentary Series, also Deuteronomy. Uh, we're going to get into it with him tomorrow with Chapter 9, but we'll also ask him a couple of questions from today's show. Folks, until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. 
Father, keep us in thy strong word.